All right, so um, I'm going to speak in English <laughs> because I prepped that way. And um, if this was an AA meeting, all right, I would have said, Hi, my name is Dinda. Thank you. <laughs> and I am addicted to binge YouTube binging YouTube clips, and I don't know if some of you have fallen into that trap, but you look at one clip, it leads to another, it leads to another, it leads to another, and three hours later you're like, what? All right, so um, you'll find me in front of the TV twice in a year, with Golden Globes and with the Oscars. So when it was Oscar time, I was binging. And um, I came upon this clip, and I want you to watch it with me. Right, um, and I've watched this clip now about 15 times. I do like that for binge watching. And every time it gets me, every time I sort of want to start crying or my heart gives a jump or a flutter. And um, it got me thinking about uh, beginning of Feb, uh, Chris Kamalski sent out you know, one of the messages and he talked about indifference. There was an indifference there. But it also got me thinking about a certain story in the Bible that I think all of you would know. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke 10 from about verse 30. So if you guys want to go there, I'm not going to read out of it there, but it's, it, it's in Luke 10. And it starts by saying, a certain man um, uh, left Jerusalem to go down to Jer Jericho. Now, just to give you a bit of background, I love context. Jericho and Jerusalem is about 25 k's apart from each other. And there's a, if you descend from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it's about 1,000 meter that you go down. So for your, your mountain bike riders, it's a tough up. All right. And if you walk it apparently from Jericho up to Jerusalem, it can take you up to eight hours if you rest in between, but if you don't rest, six and a half hours. So it's quite a walk. But the main thing about this road, it's extremely winding. So it is absolutely conducive for ambushing. All right, so I think you can sort of, um, just want to show you, this is the road. This is what it looks like. But when I saw it, I thought it looks like those Western movies, you know, where the guys <laughs> with, the, with the horses and the Indians, but it looks like that. But it's, it's very conducive for ambushing. So it became known as the way of blood. This road between Jericho and Jerusalem was walked a lot, but it became known as the Way of Blood 
because it was so conducive for ambushing. So a lot of robbers were there, and they hijacked a lot of people, leaving them for dead, and there's a lot of blood in there as well. Therefore, the way of blood. So the story said a certain man descended down to Jericho, and lo and behold, some robbers got hold of him, but they stripped him of his clothes and his belongings, and um, they left him to near dead. So they, they really got him good. And the next thing what happened is, Jesus' story goes as follows. There's two people that cross his path, that cross his path on the other side of the road. So already you can, you can, you can gather that these people want to not get involved here. Interesting speaking, it's a priest and a Levite that doesn't want to get involved. Now there's, there's a few things that come to your mind when you think of that. But a reason that could have been that they didn't want to get involved, a priest and a Levite does chores in the temple, they work in the temple. And a massive thing there is if they touch someone that is dead, they are seen as unclean. So maybe they just wanted to avoid all the rituals to become clean again. Could be like that. But when I read up on the Samaritan, uh, Martin Luther, Luther King and his wife visited actually the same place, and he had this um, idea around this. He said, you know, if, if I would have seen someone lying there, the first idea that would come to my mind is this is a trap. I'm sure the robbers is around the corner. I'm going to start helping this person, and then they're, going to, then they're going to get me. I think it's quite relevant for the South African context as well, hey? And um, so Martin Luther King said, maybe they asked the following questions to themselves. Maybe they said, if I stop and help, what would happen to me? And that's maybe they answered that question to themselves, and they left. But a third person arrived. And he reversed the question. He said, if I do not stop, what would happen to him? Can you hear the difference? If I do not stop, what's going to happen to him? And the person that stopped was a Samaritan. Now, to give you some more background, they don't, we don't know if this is a Jew that was robbed because most of the scripts start with a certain man. But we definitely know Jesus' crowd was Jews, am I right? And the Jews and the Samaritans did not see eye to eye. So you can imagine when Jesus brought in that the Samaritan was the good guy, I can just imagine this crowd sitting up straight and saying, what the heck, what is going on here? Now, why the Jews and the Samaritans didn't see eye to eye, it began 700 years before the, um, uh, the birth of Christ. And it was in the exile time of Babylon. It's when um, Assyrian was taken over by Babylon and the kingdom of Judah, our Jews, were in there. And some of them were exiled. The, the more famous ones that were exiled was Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Mesach, and the Afrikaans were just Abednego. I don't know what that is in English. Abednego, I don't know. Um, so it's in that era that, that that happened. And the Samaritans, they stayed behind. They weren't ex, um, exiled. And they believe they kept the true religion. So they feel they've got the pure religion. And they said, when the people that were um, exiled, the Jews that came back, they, bring a, they brought an altered and an amended religion back. So they didn't, they didn't agree with the, re the religion that the Jews had now. And therefore, there was a rift between these two. So the Jews and the Samaritans did not see eye to eye. 
So just know that. So it's amazing how Jesus captures his audience. Am I right? But the next part of the, of the story is amazing. What the Samaritan does for, for this person. He starts dressing his wounds. Um, he cleans them with oil and wine. He um, puts him on his animal. He takes him to the closest inn, so it's like a little hotel. He further looks after the person. But then the next day, he had to leave. And he said to the owner of the inn, he said, here's, here's some money. And the money apparently was equivalent to two days of working wages. Here's money. Please look after this person until he's fine. When I come back from my journey, I'll actually pass by and I'll come in here if there's any other money that I owe you and I will settle that. That was the Samaritan's job, what he did. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus is telling the story. The Jews' eyes are big and white and the Samaritan is the good guy. So when we... Sorry. So when we look at these two stories, I found a fantastic portrait of a guy that painted it in 1885. It's the only one where the actual person is, is naked. The others all have these little robes draped around them. I thought this was quite appropriate. So when we listen or read stories like the Good Samaritan, or here's the Tui family that actually adopted Michael Orr. That was the blind side. It was a true story. You can't be helped but filled with absolute awe. It touches your heart when you hear stories like this. So, why do you think it touches your soul? Because it touched mine. It's because the compassion of the Samaritan and the compassion of the Tui family, it did not leave them indifferent. Their compassion didn't leave them indifferent. And the definition of compassion is it's, um, you feel for the person or you feel with the person. And um, it moves the people, it moved the Samaritan from a silent spectator. It moved him to an active participant. But now, if you look at Luke 10, the story doesn't start at verse 30 from where I took the story. It actually starts from verse 25. And I want to read it to you guys because this is the crux of the story. All right, so verse 25. One day an expert in religion law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? This is how this whole thing started. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? It's amazing, you know most Jesus. He doesn't answer, he answers you with a question. Nah. I love it. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Then verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions because he's obviously a bit taken aback, you know, in the face, Jesus got him back, I don't know what. Um, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then the story starts of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? And um, it's amazing. You're in a place where our mission is love Jesus, love others. 
So we took that and it became the thing that actually changed my heart when I started coming over here. It's a thing you hear all over and over again, and I'm going to be like a broken record. Every time you're going to hear me teach, I will speak about this. Here I go again. Love Jesus, love others. And that is your neighbor. But I must caution you extremely hectically here. Loving others, it is not in your comfort zone. It's not. First of all, it's definitely not in your timeline. The Good Samaritan thought, okay, all right, I've got a six and a half, seven hour journey. Yes, 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 I'll get there, go, go, go. And he was stopped by his compassion. His time wasn't his own anymore. So your time doesn't become your own. And once, when I was in high school, I was driving around with my friend's mom. She had this little yellow Reynold, you know, these 1980 little yellow Reynolds, but it had velvet seats, so it was very posh. And uh, we lived in a place called Whitfield. It's in between Germiston and Boxburg. Fantastic place to grow up. Thank you very much. And um, so there was this old chap every afternoon, half past three or half past four, I can't remember now. He would walk from wherever to the spa and back. But he won't walk on the pavement. He walked about a meter inside the road. So everybody knew him and then, you know, just sort of went around him. And this day, Amuline's mom said, man, let's just give this, this old chum a ride. Look, come on, let's just take him home, you know, get him out of the road. And as the, the old man got into the car, and she sort of, I think, made a UE on the road or whatever, he got disorientated, and he, and he didn't know where he lived. So she's like, okay, Wim, Valkanek your foot. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know where we are. And now it becomes a crisis because what, what would have become three minutes of our time, Good Samaritan, okay, 30 minutes later, eventually we started asking, Wim, what does your house look like? Is there anything you can remember of your house? And he said, there's two big pots in front of it. We're like, okay. And he's like, and color? I think he said it was white or yellow. And eventually after 30 minutes, we got it. But what was the funniest is you could see it was a very churchy old guy. He always had his suit on with a hat and everything. And he got so nervous, every now and then, <laughs> he would just say, Gode Lewis, <laughs> the whole time we drive. And you would just hear this guy say, Gode Lewis. And I'm thinking, oh, we're going to sit with this man. So our time wasn't our own. We were being good Samaritans, thinking it's a three-minute thing. Her mom was going to drop me off day over. And 30 minutes later, we only dropped off the old man. So cautious, if you love others, it's out of your comfort zone, it's not your time line. Secondly, another cautious thing, you must be extremely discretional. You, you must have discretion when you do something for others. Ladies, especially as single ladies, don't be stupid. Guess what I did one day? I worked for Eskom and it was behind Menland Shopping Center and every time you drove out there was these two young guys always begging. And the one day I thought, you know what, I know at Mama Lodi there's, there's, a, hot, you know, there's, a, there's a children's home there, I'm just going to take them there. And I had this small car and I got, let them both sit in the front seat, but they were quite big. And luckily, obviously it was, you know, uh, high traffic and everything like this, and I can see the men looking at me and saying, you, you stupid, <laughs> you know, I've got these two young men in my car, I'm all alone, and I want to now help. Luckily, or I don't know if it was not luckily, they were so high on glue or something. And eventually I figured out that these two ain't under 18, they're over 18. 
So I was so cross, I just tucked them out of the, out of the car again and drove off. That wasn't nice either, but anyway. But imagine that could have gone totally wrong. I didn't use my discretion. I should have had another guy in the car as well, maybe, maybe. All right. So when you love others, please use your discretion. Be wise. Listen to the Lord. Okay. And if you don't hear his voice, just ask, is this a wise thing I'm doing now as me as a single lady in a car? All right. We've got another friend, Pierre and I. He was at a bachelor. Pierre told me the story last week. And um, he loves the Lord, but he loves his beer as well. Okay. So he, he got a bit tipsy. And then the bachelor went all wrong, and they're like, no, we're going to teasers. And he's like, no, I really don't want to go to teasers. No, you must come along. And lo and behold, he fell in love. <laughs> of course, it was wonderful, you know. But, and, and he thought that is going to be his mission field. He's going to save this lady. He got very hurt. Okay, guys, use your discretion. All right. So two things with helping others. Discretion and it's not your timeline. Please remember that. All right. But what does, what does it look like in our day if you start loving others? And obviously, again, me on, on internet, I started just typing in Muslim Christians, blah, blah, blah. This was January 2011. I don't know if you remember, there was a revolt in Egypt. This is Tahrir Square. And it's Christians standing around the Muslims that they can pray, that no one disturbs them. Isn't it beautiful? This is again Muslims. It is also in Egypt. I couldn't get the timeline there, but I'm, I th I'm thinking it's in the same time. That the Christian church was actually attacked by extremists and the Muslims went and stood around the church. Beautiful. Then in Australia in December 2014, I don't know if you remember, there was a siege of the Lint Cafe in uh, Sydney. And um, there were people killed there, but it was because of one guy that was extremist, but he was linked to Muslims. And this one lady, a day or two after that, she was uh, riding on the bus or the train, and she saw a Muslim lady actually start taking off her attire because you could see this girl was obviously scared of the backlash that was going to happen. So this lady put up a, a tweet, and she said, I'm going to read it from there, um, uh, at the bottom, and the Muslim woman sitting next to me on the train silently removed the hijab. So that's the attire. I ran after her at the train station. I said, put it back on, I walk, I'll walk with you. She started to cry and hug me for about a minute, then walked off alone. So this was the, the original tweet that went out. The second tweet that went out, this lady, or man, I don't know, Sir Tessa, picked it up and said, uh, if you regularly take the 373 bus to Coogee, Martin, wear religious attire and don't feel safe alone, I'll ride with you. Um, at me for schedule. And after that, uh, the person said, maybe start a hashtag, what's in, I'll ride with you. And this took on the most amazing thing. I think up until date, there were 200,000 tweets that went out with a hashtag, I'll ride with you. So Australians said, I'll ride with you. Isn't that amazing? Okay. So that's how it looks like in our days. What does it look like in South Africa? And this is quite recent, and I'm sure you know these pictures. This was the Varsity Cup at Bloemfontein. 
Now, the pictures we saw was the video clips of how they fought the people. It was terrible. But this started coming through as well. Guys on the field helping the people being hurt. I just want to show you, I love this. <laughs> it's got a cigarette in his, I love it. He's my favorite fan. I, I, I'm in love with this guy already. All right. But isn't this beautiful? This was a few weeks ago. And this was at Tucky's. Also a few weeks ago. Praying. So yes, we get the media and we, we get what's happening and it's, and it's tough stuff. But do we get this? This is loving others. Not thinking about your time. Giving your time. Now, the, the thing I usually do, and I think it's, it's a cop-out, but I usually, when I stand in a queue to pay my, money, uh, my, my groceries, and there's someone in front of me that I can see, and, and they usually have or a 20 rand in their hand that's like sweaty and dirty, or a 50 rand and there's like a bread, a half a bread, and a bit of milk, then I know this person is... You know, he's like, or she's scraping. Then I would sort of, as the last thing would be flagged, I would look at the lady at the till and say, it's on me. And then she starts ignoring the person, she starts doing my things and the person, and then they, and sometimes I get a hug, sometimes I just get, oh my goodness. But it's a cop-out, because it doesn't take much of my time. But it's something. It's something. But sometimes I'm very, very indifferent to what's going on around me. Don't know if you're thinking that now as well. You mustn't think I'm this fantastic hero. Ten, nine out of ten times I'm so indifferent, it's scary. And I, I've been thinking because when you drive away, you feel guilty and you're like, I could have done this. What is two rent fifty or anything like that? And I've been thinking about it. And there's three things that keeps me from being compassionate and, and keeps me being in, or, or keeps me in the indifferent mode. And the one thing is entitlement. Oof, I'm so entitled. Don't you dare cross this street. It's my street to cross, okay? There's no zebra here, it's me to go past. And I always drive through the city from work. And it's always robots, and the people must cross. And when the light is green for them, they can cross. But if that little man goes red, it's my turn. Entitlement. Okay, I'm not going to give them a, you know. But maybe they are chasing for a taxi that is standing right there, and I'm not knowing it. And I'm sort of weaving through them. One day, one of the guys actually slapped my car so hard, I thought he put a dent in. Entitlement keeps me in the indifferent zone. Secondly, a thing that keeps me there is judgmental. Oh, I can judge. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I think someone is judging me, then I'm judging back. I love KFC. I love a Twister. So I do my drive-through, and I'm ordering a Twister and a, what? A Sunrise Crusher. It's my favorite. And, um, and the lady goes, two rand fifty for hungry kids? And I'm like, no, not today. Two rand fifty? No, not today. She judged me. I'm driving a car. I'm getting takeaway. She thinks I've got money. I'm donate. I don't have. I drive away. Then I'm thinking two rand fifty. <laughs> really, Linda? But she judged. No, you judge. No. Oh, okay. 
And the last thing that keeps me in the indifferent zone is unforgiveness that goes into bitterness. Doesn't matter what your situation of unforgiveness is. The thing is, when you're unforgiving, you become me, myself, and I. Then nothing else matters except this thing sitting here. And that keeps you indifferent as well. So, if you can relate to what I'm saying now, the massive thing is to go and just visit your heart and your soul and, and why do you feel entitled? Why are you judgmental? What am I not forgiving? Because that can start a pathway of one little ripple effect. But two things that help me to get out of this mode. One is community. I have to be here every Sunday. Or I have to sit around a table with friends because I have to hear stories. I have to hear their stories. And it's no joke that this place is called Story Space because stories change lives. So when you feel that you're entrapped in this, uh, organize a dinner and have a lot of friends sit around the table and ask them questions like, did anybody help somebody or how was your day or your week or whatever? And let their stories change your heart. And in Hebrews 10.24, just to reiterate that, am I going to get it now? Yeah, there we go. Hebrews 10.24, it says, they let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Isn't that amazing? Hebrews 10.24. Jumped out like it was never written in the Bible, and then when you find it, it's like, whoa, okay. Let us motivate each other. Organize dinners. Chat with people and ask them how was their day and so forth. That changes one as well. And secondly, another thing that changes you is to be present in the moment. Okay, there. And I came across um, one of the Twitter feeds, a guy by the name of David Benner. He said, being present, I'm, I'm reading my writing here and it's very ugly, sorry. Okay, got it. Being present means accepting what is. We cannot be present to anyone or anything in judgment. You can't be present if you are judging. So sort the judgment out. And if you're present, you're going to start seeing stuff. And I came across this brilliant picture. Just look at it quickly. Apparently it was a Internet sensation last year, October 2015. What do you see? Who's present there? Hey? This was posted in the, in the Boston Global. And a person tweeted this and said, this lady is my favorite lady. And I've actually <laughs> highlighted her. Can you see she is enjoying the moment I think she, she, she got it. And for me, this is, being, this is being present. So careful, careful, social networkers, phones, all those things. Drop the phone for just one or five minutes and see how the world changes for you. So, the last thing I want to say, it is possible for us to be present. The reason for us to be able to be present and to have compassion is because 
Jesus conquered the way of blood. He already conquered that. And in, in this time of Lent, we are celebrating or thinking about the road to the cross. And Jesus conquered the way of blood. And therefore, we are free to be compassionate, be present, and love others. So, let us be someone's light. Let us be Jesus' hands and feet. I always say that because that is the love others. And it doesn't have to be a person. I was just thinking this morning when I jogged, I thought, you know, maybe some of you are really allergic to human beings. I'm sometimes very allergic to human beings. What about going cleaning out SPCA's, um, uh, you know, places where the dogs and the cats are? Well, what's wrong with that? You're loving others. What's wrong with hugging a tree? Don't hug it too long, but hug it. That is changing something and being something else, and that's not being just for yourself. It's out there. You're living that way. You're not living this way. So because of the cross, you are free to show your compassion. So, love Jesus, very important. But love others. Right, let's pray. Jesus, baie dankie dat jy die meest amazingste God is om te aanbid. Dankie, Vader, in hierdie oploop na, na die kruisiging, Vader, dat ons kan onthou. En dankie sê, Vader, dat jy nie indifferent geblei het toe jy by Gethsemane was nie. Dankie, Heere, dat jy compassion vir ons gehad het, Heere, en nog steeds het. Dankie, Heere, dat, dat, dat jy the way of the blood oorwin het, Vader, dat ons vry kan wees om compassion te wees vir ander. En as dat dinge is wat ons blok, Vader, help ons. Stuur mens oor ons pad wat net vir ons stories vertel, Vader dat ons harte kan change. Dankie Heere dat u ons eerste lief gehad het. Ek bid dit in Jesus' naam. Amen.